Good morning. A couple things uh, before I get started, um, sort of by way of introduction. If you were expecting to hear someone named Teleki give a sermon this morning, so was I. <laughs> um, so, my apologies. I would like you to turn on your imagination and lower your expectations. <laughs> Two giant steps. Have you done that? Now I'd like you to do that again. I'm starting to feel more comfortable. The, uh, the, the, when this occurred, and you know, I, I had some old, what I would call old messages, and I, I got them out and I looked at them, and they, none of them had any life, so I spent yesterday putting some thoughts together, and uh, it's from the text. The text I want to use is 2 Timothy 2, verses 1 and 2, and uh, if you want to turn there, we'll read it, and then we'll talk about it. 2 Timothy 2, this is the Apostle Paul. Um, he is at the end of his life, and he knows that. He is at the end of his ministry, and he knows that. He has, a, he has a keen awareness that that's the case. And he's writing, and he's writing to his protege, to his beloved son, not physical, but just as easily could have been. He and Timothy are this close, his son in the faith. And he's writing from prison, from a, from a, from a difficult situation. He says this, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, these entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. I want to take that apart. He refers to the things, the things which you have heard from me. And what are some of those things that uh, Timothy had heard from the Apostle Paul? They had traveled together. They had done ministry together. Timothy had been an observer of this man in his life, and he knew, uh, he knew it was uh, uh, the genuineness of it. Some of the things he might have uh, heard from Paul were uh, from Greg's communion meditation, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, God incarnate, come to earth. Some of the things he might have heard from Paul were Spoken this morning by Josh Knoll, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. Other things from other portions of Scripture. He might have heard truth of 1 Peter 3.18, For Christ also died for sins once, for all, the just for the unjust. Why did he do that? In order that he might bring us to God having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Any or all, and much more, are some of the things that Timothy would have observed when he talks about, and the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses. The gospel was spoken um, for all to hear. It was not sequestered, secluded, confined. It was, it was spoken for all to hear. And then he says this, 
These entrust to faithful men. And I want to take a minute and talk about what it means uh, to be a faithful man. I'm very glad he didn't say, entrust these to perfect men. Because we would all fail that. I'm glad he didn't say, entrust this to seminary graduates. Because they've got the, they alone have the background and the language skills and the things necessary to, uh, to, to handle the gospel. They do. Uh, but they are not exclusive in that sense. He said, entrust it to men who love Jesus Christ. Men who will be faithful in the way they handle it, in the way they deal with it, in the way they, they utilize it in their life. And it's also interesting that uh, faithful men come in all shapes and sizes. And in this sense, I'm going to speak generically. Faithful Christians come in all shapes and sizes, all kinds of backgrounds, all personalities. And we're thankful for that as well because it's not, it's not exclusive to uh, anyone. And I'd like to talk to you for just a few minutes about a faithful man, a few faithful men that I've become acquainted with, not personally, but through, through others, through reading, through, through interacting. As many of you know, uh, every year for one month of the year, my wife and I have the opportunity to, uh, to do some volunteer ministry in the state of Colorado, in the city of Colorado Springs, at the Navigator headquarters. Now, the Navigator... The Navigators are a group of Christians. They're a parachurch ministry. And by parachurch, they aren't a church in themselves, but they are like a Fellowship of Christian Athletes, Youth for Christ. They are an organization of committed Christians that has a sole purpose and function. And their purpose is to come alongside people and help them grow in their faith. And they want those people to be part of an organized church the Church of Jesus Christ. It's God's idea. That's who we are here today. But the Navigators are a parachurch ministry, and they help people grow. And they have three sort of facets or, or, or aspects to the, the types of people they work with. Uh, one are, it's called community ministry. It's doing Bible studies, doing, uh, using their materials, and they have people that work in communities, in inner cities and all over the place, and, and they do that kind of stuff. They have representatives on college campuses, and they're on hundreds of college campuses, both in the United States and abroad. And they work on military bases with uh, soldiers, sailors, airmen, the, the, whole, the whole sphere of uh, people. And so those are the three phases of their ministry. And today they have almost 5,000 staff people serving in over 100 countries around the world. So it's a, it's, it's a big ministry. But it began... and in reflecting on this, I thought if you wanted to, to pick a person to, to start and uh, to begin and to develop, what kind of a person would you look for? Who would you start with? You might consult. You might consult some known Christians. You might, you might find some pastors and ask them, you know, we want to get, this is the folks we want to do, how would you do? You might, you might call Rick Warren up on the phone and say, hey, Rick, you're a famous guy, and you're a godly man, and who would you choose? How, how should we get this going? You might call Andy Stanley. You might call his father, Charles Stanley. You might call um, uh, 
a seminary president and, and ask them, you know, how, how do we go about this? What would be the, how would you help us lay this, the structure, the groundwork? Um, you, might, you might call a prominent theologian. Someone who has uh, maturity and insight and, and all those things and experience, life experience, could help you with all this stuff. God delights in, in using ordinary people and in taking our logic and turning it upside down. Because God, to start the navigators, chose a truck driver from a lumber yard in the 1920s. His name was Dawson Trotman. He was born in Arizona, had grown up in uh, California, near Long Beach, had professed Christ as a young adult, been very active in youth group, in fact, the president of his youth group. But by the age of 20, he had strayed far and wide, to the extent that at, that, that at the age of 20, one night he was sitting in his car drunk, and a policeman came along and rapped on the window and trying to make a determination, well, what should I do with this guy? He'd been in jail before. Shall I haul him off to jail? But in the process, he said, Dawson, do you like this life that you're living? And his response was, sir, I hate it. And that was the beginning of something of God to beginning to work in his life to bring him back to some truths. And just kind of as an aside, that, that says a lot. Just that in itself, I'm leaving my sermon for one minute. It says a lot about how we act and interact with people who have issues of uh, substance abuse and destructive behavior that from our appearance, they think, and we, they're having a wonderful time, but they're caught. They're caught in, in lifestyles and decisions. So Dawson's Trotman, Sir, I Hate It, revealed a whole lot. And shortly after that, he was invited by a group of, 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 of adults in town to go to this, so like for, for early, you know, early adults, whatever, just out of your teens, an event at a local church, the church he knew, and it was young men and women his age. And uh, in the process, they divided the group into two teams, and um, a contest was held. They gave them ten Bible verses, and were told, uh, Team A, you go away the next week and work on memorizing these ten Bible verses, and Team B, you do the same. And so he did that. Dawson Trotman was a man with incredible, I guess you'd, you'd, you'd call him type A. He loved that challenge. He was competitive. He took it. And next week went back to the contest. And uh, he had memorized every verse. Perfect. And to his dismay, nobody else had memorized one. But that didn't matter to him. They handed out ten more verses. And the first ten verses he'd been given the week before had to deal with salvation, and he had memorized those verses in order to win a prize. He wasn't concerned about the content. They gave him ten more verses. And he went back and, uh, and he memorized those. And in the process of doing his job, working his, his um, occupation in the lumber yard, in his free time, he got to thinking on what did a particular verse mean, and, and a couple of them. And... God used his word in Dawson Trotman's life on that occasion to convict him of 
his love for him, his need for a Savior. And so, while not even looking, but because it had been placed in his, in his mind, God took it from his mind to his heart, and he committed his life to Jesus Christ. Now, some interesting, interesting things happened right away. The change was radical. Um, in fact, he got to leading youth groups in the town, and at one point it is said that he had led more than 200 people, teenagers, to Christ. But um, in the process, on Thursdays at that lumber yard, they had a visiting missionary who would come, and while the guys ate lunch, wherever they did on the dock or whatever, uh, a missionary would come along and give out the gospel, and a lot of people didn't pay any attention to him, and some may have disrioted him, and Dawson Trotman was sort of... But he started listening to this man, and he started getting the gospel put into his life, and he got to know the man and, 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 and you know, was telling him, great, how much he appreciated his ministry and all that stuff. He says, well, that's great, because next Thursday I want you to come here and give your testimony to the guys of the lumber yard. It sort of zinged him, something he didn't want it, but it was a milestone because he spent the week preparing, worrying, but God blessed it. And the next week, he was able to stand before those guys and tell them the difference Jesus Christ had made in his life. And while the change was radical in terms of his, his, his salvation, um, the sanctification took a while. There were several areas of his life that he knew were not pleasing to God. And you know, when God works with us, he is so kind. He just doesn't say, now I've got you. i dumping the truck. Here's all the stuff that's wrong, and I'd like you to fix it by Friday. <laughs> he doesn't do that. He comes along, and he puts his finger gently on an area of your life, and he says, what about this? You know? And then you have the choice. I have the choice. I can resist that, or I can submit, and I can let him come in and have his way. And that's what happened in Dawson. There were, there were a number of personal habits and thought patterns that God began to, to slowly work on. And one in particular, he thought he would never get victory over. He would try and fail and try and fail. But eventually, he found success. And then he had a greater vision. He had a wife. She was six years number. Her name was Lila. And they lived near Long Beach, near the naval base. And they started taking this stuff that they knew individually uh, from working with teenagers to sailors who were, who were, who were uh, on leave. And they would open their house and they would um, just invite them in and, uh, and just, just give them hospitality, something people long for when they're, you know, away from home. And he began working with them, and scripture memory is a big thing if you know navigators. They're big on memorizing scripture. In fact, you know, sometimes it seems they're over the top, but they're... It's, it's putting God's word in your heart. And, and, and so it stays there. And that's, I mean, it's one of the really cool things about Awanas. Kids learn verses that will be there for the rest of their life. But anyway, he was working with a guy, his name, a sailor named Les Spencer. And, and, and doing, you know, meeting weekly, praying, reading the Bible, memorizing scripture. And uh, Les Spencer was eating it all up. And... Um, growing in the Lord, and um, just fully enjoying. And, 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 and he had a fellow on the ship, and he was trying to reach, so he brought this man 
to Dawson Trotman and said, Dawson, I'd like you to teach him the things you've been teaching me. And Dawson Trotman looked at him and said, you teach him. And that was fundamental, the fundamental focus that has guided and governed the whole ministry. It's 2 Timothy 2.2. And the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, what do you do with those? You entrust those to faithful men. What do the faithful men do? They teach others also. So it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a principle of uh, spiritual multiplication, but it fits every personality because later on in life, the navigators grew and they grew into the, they grew into the, the ministry that I've you know, sort of given you some idea about. But uh, 20 years down the road, Dawson Trotman, at the age of 50, drowns in June of 1956 at Scroon Lake, New York, while on a preaching. He'd, he'd, been, a, he'd been out um, with his wife and, uh, preaching at a Young Life conference. And the interesting thing about that is both he and his wife had known, had, had strong premonitions that God was going to take him home, that that was that he had, in one sense, fulfilled his purpose. And so he had talked a lot to his protege, his Timothy in the faith, a man named Lauren Sanny. Lauren Sanny was a man who was six, seven years younger than Dawson Trotman, and he had been building into his life so that when that happened, although you know a husband was lost and a father was lost and a ministry leader, and the loss was great. In fact, the, the place where we go in Colorado, it's, um, it's 800 acres, it has a stone castle, it's 67 rooms, it's the most luxurious place I've ever been. And in the stone castle is this called the Great Hall, and the Great Hall is where they held events. And Billy Graham preached Dawson Trotman's funeral in that Great Hall of that stone castle in June of 1956. And he said he had never met another human being that had touched more lives for Jesus Christ than Dawson Trotman. But God moves him on, and everybody has a sense that despite the loss, this is something that God is involved with. And Lauren Sanny, and the reason I point this out, Lauren Sanny is a man who's nothing like Dawson Trotman. He's only like him, in, in my opinion, in his dedication and in his love for Christ. Personality is much different. He had the kind of personality that God could use then to grow a ministry. He worked well with people, and he, he was a visionary of a different kind. So I'm, I'm saying that to say... But God just doesn't have one blueprint, you know, these type A's are the only people I can use. He's, we've all got something to do in his kingdom. And Lauren Sanny is the man then who was handpicked, who, who caused the ministry to grow. And, uh, and if we don't know that, and if we don't kind of, I guess the word, accept that, or realize that, it can, it, can, it can throw you off on your Christian life. It can throw me off. Because I say, oh, hey, man, look at that guy's gifts. Man, I wish I had those gifts. Look at this guy's personality. Oh, I wish I had that. And then I go to trying to be like them. And that just doesn't work. It never works. What works is, God, what are the gifts you gave me? How can I use them in, in, in your purpose, in your kingdom, in, in what you want to do in my life? Yeah, I admire. There's people I admire. I've got... A, a list of people, and, and some of them don't, some of them don't. I just look up to them, and I, 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 I look for ways God is doing things in their life because that's very attractive spiritually. That's very attractive, and that's what you want to emulate, I think, not to try to be, to be like them. And so, you know, um, 
whether it's in any, in any place he puts you, um, developing friendships, work relationships, your marriage, whatever. Um, the second Timothy 2, 2. Look for, for ways that you can be faithful to that. And, and some of them are, you know. Um, reading the Word, you know. Uh, I, I have a tape of, of uh, Billy Graham. He's preaching Dawson Trotman's funeral, in, in, like I said, in June of 56. And he's saying Dawson Trump was a man who always challenged him in his faith. And we think of Billy Graham, I don't know, spiritually, but he's, he's kind of there for me. And he said uh, uh, Dawson Trotman had come up to him one day and said, uh, hey, Billy, here's what I've been reading. Here's what I got out of the Word today. And God just spoke to me, and I want to share that with you. And he said, Billy, what'd you get out of the Word today? And Billy Graham said, well, I hadn't been in the Word that day. He said, and I'd tell him, well, I haven't had my quiet time, Dawson. And he said, the man was just challenging, my li- challenging his life. And so what I'm saying is love for the word, scripture memory seems to come easier when you're younger, but that is not an excuse for not doing it, right? Fellowship, Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, do not forsake assembling together as is the habit of some, but what? Encourage one another. We need encouragement. We need, there's a constant need. You can't tell from a person's face whether the day is going well or somebody just kicked the floor out of their life and we need encouragement and sharing your faith evangelism um so to so to bring this full circle um and uh wind it down i was thinking back in in uh, Dece- uh december the winter of 1971 um, my family, which was my wife and I at the time, moved to Mount Vernon and uh, found a little red two-story house on uh, First Avenue, which is Highway 1. We're renting it for $75 a month, which tells you something about the economy at the time and it tells you something about the house. It was a nice house, but the wind blew straight through the house and it was, it was cold and it was winter. And we just had our first child. He was a month old. My first son, your pastor. And um, the, the three of us were, were uh, I can remember being upstairs, and we had been exposed to some people who wanted us to get involved in a Bible study. Um, and they were kind of, and, and you got to know me. And my wife thought, man, that's a great idea. Let's do it. And I didn't say no, but I just made her life miserable. Be, complain and carp and whine and do all the things you can do without you know without telling somebody you're not but just made her life miserable so she drags me off to this bible study and i go and then i'm you know i go from there to being a cynic and so anyway this is me at my most carnal but god started using some people in that bible study because they had these qualities in their life and I got exposed to some things that I didn't know. It was a study. It was called The Scriptural Home. And it was written by, of all things, a navigator. His name was George Sanchez. And uh, I didn't know the Bible had principles for how you treat your wife. But I found, and I didn't know the Bible had principles for how to raise a family. So I go back, and this is the truth. I don't have a lot of clear memories from 40 years ago. But I remember this. I can remember looking in my son's bassinet. He's four weeks old and saying, this kid has a soul. And there are two human beings 
uh, who are going to have the most influence on how that soul is raised and, and, and what he's taught. And he's going to be responsible before God someday, completely on his own, totally. He's going to have to make his own decision on, on Jesus Christ or not. But if she and I are the people with the most influence, there are some things in my life that I'm not very proud of. There's some things that maybe I need to wean out of my life. And there's some other things I need to put into my life. And so that was the start kind of of a process that's been going on for uh, a long time. And um, when I, when I uh, yesterday I run in this thing, you know, I worked on this thing. I said, Gloria, she give, me, give me the three-minute version. So I give her the three-minute version of this sermon message. And, uh, and she says, well, two things. One, don't talk about me. I've already violated that many times. <laughs> the other is, don't tell them it was easy. See, don't tell them it was easy. Life is not easy. And I think there's, there's some concept we got, oh, Christian, bingo. Problems, not, not so. In fact, you know, in, in many ways, your life will become more difficult. And you know this. I'm just preaching to the choir. I, I know you know this. But... God doesn't eliminate our problems. He walks with us in and through them and gives us the strength. And sometimes it's like, I don't know God. I really don't know. But we hang in there with him. And uh, last, thing, last thing I want to tell you about um, uh, ministry is uh, back to the navigators. Because um, they believe that this is lifelong. Uh, there's a man with the navigators. He's known as Navigator Number Six. His name is Jim Downing. Um, Jim Downing, he's known as Number Six. He was the sixth person Dawson Trotman worked with. He lives in Colorado Springs. He's 102 years old. Two years ago, when we were at Glen Erie, we had the privilege, the opportunity to serve a coffee. We got to cut the cake and clean up the dishes. The, they had a big thing for his hundredth birthday. And he's known as Navigator Number Six because on. Uh, um, he was the sixth person Trotman worked with. He was a career-long Navy officer on December 7th of 1941. He was on the USS West Virginia when it took ten tor- uh, seven torpedoes and uh, survived that and finished his career in the Navy and uh, went to work for the Navigators in 1953, just prior to the time Dawson Trotman left and Lawrence Henney began. And I tell you all that to say this. Jim Downing is still working with people today in Bible studies. He's still discipling. We're out there and we turn on our little TV in our little apartment and it's uh, Colorado Springs, Channel 11, and the woman's name, Deanne something, just a you know, sweet little news gal. And uh, she'd been assigned to uh, go out and interview Jim Downing because he's the oldest living survivor of Pearl Harbor. And he talks about Pearl Harbor and the war and the whole deal. But he also talks about his faith. She'd been assigned to go out and interview him. She did, and she found him just this marvelous, you know, sweet man. And so he got to talking to her about her life. To the extent that every week now, Jim Downing, 102, is discipling the news babe from Channel 11. <laughs> See, so like, there's, there's always something to be done, Right? There's always something to be done. But it's based upon this 2 Timothy 2.2. And the things, you know the things, 
that you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, these entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Um, it is, um, it's not a help, it's our lifeline. Um, and uh, we're not talking legalism, we're not talking, we're talking love and grace. This is stuff that's it's for our good. It's not, I gotta, 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 and, and, and get all the points scored and meet your, your standards are love, and your grace pours out over us, and help us to take that, Lord, rather than Christianity being a have-to, got-to kind of life. So we thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.